All right, good morning. Good to see everybody here at our main campus. Welcome to you guys that are joining us online. So real quick, just a quick announcement before we jump in today. So Grow Night, uh, an opportunity if you're not in community or you're not in a small group, an opportunity for you to get in one. Um, so if you're interested in getting in one of our Grow Night groups, you can go out uh, to the uh, Welcome Center. Uh, Taylor will be out there or a volunteer will be out there. You can scan the QR code and you can see all the, the different uh, stuff that we offer. And so you can be able to get involved in a small group. But today's the last day for you to be able to sign up. So if you want to sign up, get involved. We'd love to see you uh, get to know more people through community at Life Church. All right, so if you're new with us, um, whether it's online or here at our main campus, I want to kind of get you up to date on where we're at, why we're in the series that we're in. But for a really long time as a church, we went through the book of Revelation. So we went all the way through it, uh, took some time to get through it, learned a lot together. Um, but when you do something like that for eight months, you know, that we were doing that, I felt like if you look back eight months ago, Life Church has changed a lot. Like a lot of new people, a lot of different people coming, um, just a lot of different people at different places, you know, in their life. And so I thought it was good that we do, as a church, what I recommend people do in life. Every once in a while, you better put on the brakes and you better evaluate and you better figure out, am I doing the right thing? Like, are we on track? Are we on mission? Are we, you know, doing the things that we need to do? So it's something you would do individually, right, to say, am I doing, you know, the right things in my own life and the things that I need to do? And we should do the same thing as a church, right? So as a church, we got to take breaks every once in a while just to say, are we on mission, right? And not only are we on mission, if people are coming here, do they even know what the mission is anyway, right? Because people coming uh, to Life Church might not know what our mission is. So this church or this series called The Church Defined, we wanted to take an opportunity to talk about this idea because this is what we believe. If you're a Christian in this room and you profess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, here's one of the things that we know for certain. God gave you a mission to carry out on this earth and you will be held accountable for that mission, right? So we know that. Every person in this room, Jesus was speaking to when he talked about the Great Commission. Like, this is the mission that God gave me. This is the thing that I'm going to be carrying out. And someday when I stand in front of Jesus, he's going to say, how'd you do with the mission that I gave you? Right? Like, that's going to be the criteria. And we know as a church that we have a part in helping you accomplish your mission. Right? Like, that's what we know. We know that if you understand your mission, what God wants you to do, and we help you in that process, we believe that God can use you who are on mission to change the world. So our part as a church, we have a small part in that, but our part as a church is to be able to help you be on mission. Now, the problem, right, becomes when those two things get flipped, right? So the problem becomes, and this is what I think has happened over the years inside of the church, and it might not be your experience, but I just see it in a lot of different churches because we believe it's your mission and we're here to help you accomplish your mission. I think inside of the American church, it's got flipped and it's the church has a mission and you need to help them accomplish it, right? And so you don't really necessarily think about you're on mission and the only thing that you think about is what's the church's mission and how can I help? And when you come to a church that doesn't have a ton for you to do, you're like, what in the world's going on, right? And so I say like, we've got to flip that because that's a problem, right? You on mission is the first priority, 
right? Your first priority can't be carrying out the mission of the church, right? Because then here's what happens, and I've seen this year after year after year in other churches when I was in ministry, is that you get so busy carrying out the church's mission that you can't do what God wants you to do. You know what you're doing? You're at the church every night doing what they need you to do, and then God's saying, well, I'm not, I need you out here. And like, I don't got any time left. Anybody? Right? Like, this happens. Like, the church just puts all these programs together because they think somehow the success of the church is to keep everybody busy doing what the church is doing, right? And I'm like, well, if, you come, if you've come here for a really long time, you're like, that's just not true here. We don't have a lot going on. The only thing that we have here that's happening is to help you accomplish your mission, right? And the only thing that we want to be a part of is to help you accomplish your mission. Now, just a reminder from last week, what's your mission? So we have to remind you, as a Christian person, God said to you, this is going to be your mission. This is Matthew uh, 28 and verse 19, right? So Matthew 28, 19 is the mission of every single person who calls themselves a believer. Here's what he says. Therefore, go... Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Here's your mission. Here's what you're going to be held accountable for. Are you out making disciples? Right? Like that's your mission. So if you call yourself a believer, the accountability of your life that you will get when you stand in front of Jesus is to ask this question. Because this is the, what he told you to do. Are you out making disciples? That's your mission, right? What's Life Church's mission, right? Because when we put those two things together in the right order, we think God can do amazing things. Life Church's mission, right? To go with that or to support that. Help every single person take their next step towards Jesus together, right? So we're saying the only way to help accomplish the mission that God gave you, because here's the cool thing. Making disciples you know, this is part of the problem in, inside of the church is you have the churches come up with these discipleship programs and they're based more upon, about knowledge than they are about action, right? So you get a bunch of knowledgeable people that can't do anything, right? So the idea isn't so that you can have a ton of people who know a bunch of stuff. It's a bunch of people who are doing stuff, right, in the name of Jesus. So helping every person take their next step means we as a church need to know what mission you're on so we can help you get it done. So if you want to know, like, you know, how do we operate here at Life Church? here's the way we operate. We want to try to be in a relationship enough with you to say, what mission are you on and how can we help you? Right? And we don't even want it to be a Life Church ministry. It's your mission. Whatever you're doing, whatever we can come alongside of you to do, we want to come alongside of you to do it. And we think when we do that and you combine those two things together, we think God's going to do amazing things. Right? And we think that God's going to be able to use you in amazing ways. So... Here's the idea. Last week we talked about this, if you wanted the difference between a Christian and a disciple, and if you didn't, like there's a lot of context that goes into it, so you'd have to go back and listen to the message. But here was the idea. To be a disciple, you will look up, see the glory of God. You'll look in and recognize, holy cow, I need to change. And you'll be essentially forgiven, changed, you know, all those things that, that will, will happen inside of you that you'll be restored because of Jesus, because you looked up, and then naturally because he forgave you, because he saved you, because of all the amazing things, you're naturally going to say, I can't keep this to myself, I need to look out, right? And then I need to repeat that process, how often? 
every day. That's what disciples do. Every day they wake up and they're like, glory of God. Wow, I'm so thankful that he saved a sinner like me. Like, I can't believe he did it. Like, I can't believe that he would save somebody like me. And because of that, how do you keep a gift like that to yourself? Right? How do you keep a gift that saved you from the depths of hell, that gave you a relationship that, that you couldn't get anywhere else? How do you keep that to yourself? Well, you don't. You go out and you give it to other people. Now, so here's what we're going to focus on today. So with that being the idea, and this might be hard to hear, but I want you to hear it. So in the context of what we're talking about, here's what you're going to see. Disciples make disciples. If you are someone who calls yourself a disciple and you're not making disciples, my question is, are you really a disciple? Was that confusing? Like scripture says, in a context, disciples make disciples. So if you call yourself a disciple and you're not making disciples, I don't know. Like you might not be a disciple. Right? And so I would ask you that today, this is what we're going to do. We're going to go through this, and we're going to look at what does Scripture say about disciples? What does Scripture say about us being disciples, and how can we understand that context? Because we can't ask you to be someone who's reaching people if you're not a disciple first. Is that tracking? Like, you need to be a disciple to reach or to make disciples, right? So understanding, so this is what we're gonna do. You know, the, we're looking up. Now we're gonna look in for a second. So let's look in and see what is it that God needs to remake inside of us because if it's done right, here's what we know will naturally happen. Disciples will make disciples. That's the way it'll work, right? So how do we put that together? So Luke 9, 23, this is one of the verses we're gonna look at today. So let me explain to you what was happening in Luke 9. So in that, Jesus was sending out, so he gathered these people together, disciples, and then he was sending them out, right? So he sends them out to do the work, right? So he sends them out, go out into these villages, and then come back and let's talk about the knowledge that you had that you put into action, how did it go, right? So they go out, they, you know, they, as disciples, they go out to try to make disciples, and then they come back to, this, to the feeding of the 5,000, so we all know the familiar story, they come back, there's all these people on the hillside put faith into action. You know, they talked about, like, we have great faith, and Jesus is going to see, well, we'll see if you have great faith. There's 5,000 people, and there's really no food, but we're going to feed everybody, right? So he talks to them, shows them this confirmation. This is what disciples look like. These are the things that they do. And then in that next part of it, Jesus is like, who do people say that I am, right? And Peter comes back and says, you're the Messiah, right? So they, they put all of that together. Now, I think... At this time, it was a confirmation for those people that were in that room, like, I'm really a disciple. Why? Because Jesus has trained me up, and I've went out to try to make more disciples. You can see it in the way that I live my life. So he was confirming for them, like, you're a disciple. And, but what he wanted to clear up is, so when you go out to make disciples, I want you to understand what a true disciple is. Right? I don't want it to be a terminology. I don't want it to be something that you just say. Because I've said this. You know what the problem with the American church is? Discipleship is more about knowledge than it is about action. And in Scripture, it's more about action than it is about knowledge. Isn't that weird? Like inside of the church, we've had these huge models that say, we're going to have this discipleship program, and the whole discipleship program is so that you can know a lot that you don't do. 
Anybody? Right, like you can just keep going to all the Bible studies and learn all the stuff that you don't do anyway. But you feel way better about yourself because you know more about the Bible, which is a terrible idea, right? It's a terrible idea to learn a bunch of stuff that you're not doing, right? So inside of that, Jesus defines Luke 9, 23. What does it mean to be a disciple? Here's what he said, Luke 9, 23. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my what? Disciple. Now listen to me. Another problem that we have is when Jesus called people, he didn't go up to them and say, who wants to be saved? You realize that? Like he never went up to anybody and says, who wants to be saved? And let's say a prayer and you say the prayer and check a box and now you're good. Right, he never did that. He either said, who wants to be my disciple or who wants to follow me, right? So there was a criteria that I think that we've dumbed down that Jesus is saying, let me make sure we don't dumb this down. If you wanna be my disciple, right, which is this idea that we as Christian people would say, like, this is what we want. I'm going to tell you for sure what a disciple is. This is what a disciple is. So if whoever wants to be my disciple, this is what you must do, right, not like try to do. This is what you must do. Deny yourself, take up your cross, how often? Daily, and follow me. And then he gives this picture of people that have made the mistakes of not doing this. Whoever wants to save their life, what happens to them? They lose it, right? But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their self or some of your translations say their soul? Whoever is ashamed of me, and I think that's interesting when he talks about that because he, the whole idea that if you're a disciple of mine, you remember how we talked about when you love something, you talk about it all the time? Right, like that's what disciples do. People that love Jesus are out telling people about Jesus. So what he's trying to give you is this terminology is so really by you not going out isn't this issue of whether you have enough knowledge or whether you you know can or can't do it. The real issue is is that you're ashamed of me. That you don't love me. Because if you loved me, you would be out doing these things, right? So he says, whoever's ashamed of me and my words, the son of man will also be what? Ashamed of who? Us for not doing it, right? Like he's gonna be ashamed, the man will be, uh, or the son of man will be ashamed of them when he comes into the glory and in the glory of the father and his holy angels. Here's the problem. You see, part of what we like to do because you've lived in a world that almost celebrates this is you love to negotiate every situation, right? So you love to negotiate the terms, right? You love to negotiate terms of a relationship. You like to negotiate terms on a house. You like to, you go to the flea market and you're like negotiating all the time to save 50 cents because you think it's fun to negotiate, right? Which still seems the weirdest thing to me when you're gonna argue over that. No flea market people, you go and argue over <laughs> stupid stuff. Anyway, we're negotiators by nature. And so you've carried that over into your faith and you're negotiating with God. Like, I want to be saved. True. I want to be saved because I don't want to go to hell, but I want to negotiate the terms of how I live my life. True, not true, right? Like, I want to be saved. I don't want to go to hell, but let's negotiate the whole like, Deny myself how often? I mean, pick up my cross, how much? 
and I can follow you. I do follow you. I'm here today. You ought to be happy. Right? Do you see how we do that? So we've negotiated or dumbed down what it truly means to be a disciple. And he's just saying to you, let me give you a little picture of this. Those who have negotiated and continue to negotiate the terms of the agreement of what it means to be a disciple will be disappointed at the end of their life. You hear me? We, here's how we know this. Do you remember the guy that um, came up to Jesus and said, what does it take to go to heaven? You know, and Jesus said, like, follow all these things. And he's, like, so happy with himself. He's like, I've done all these commandments and I've done all these things. I'm so good. And Jesus looks at him and says, you know what the only other thing you need to do then? Sell everything you own. What do you want to do? He wanted to negotiate. But I've been doing everything else. Do I really have to do that? Do you really know how much I have? You know, it's my, my situation's complicated. I got a lot of stuff. Like, if I sell everything, how am I going to do you hear me? Like the negotiation of it all. And what happened to that guy? He walked away sad. Why? Because you can't negotiate a relationship with Jesus Christ. You don't get that. You don't get that. You don't get to do it. You don't get an opportunity to do it. He tells you, if you want a relationship with me, if you want to be a disciple of mine, this is what you have to do. Right? You, don't get to, you don't get to negotiate. You remember the people, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people were following Jesus and they were super excited to follow Jesus because everywhere they went, people were healed. Their needs were being met. They got fed food on the side of a hill, 5,000 people. And they're like, we love you, Jesus. You're giving us everything that we need. And Jesus like, if you really want to be a follower of mine, this is all you have to do. Eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they're like, we're out. I mean, I like the whole meet my needs thing. Like I love sitting on the side of the hill and you doing the miracles of food. I loved it when you healed my sister. I loved it when you made this person well. I loved all that part. But the whole sacrifice, eat your flesh, drink your blood crap, I ain't doing that. And every one of those people except for the disciples, what did they do? Walked away. And you know, Jesus didn't go like, please come back. You know what I mean? Like, can you please come back? We'll change it. We'll change it for you. Okay, you don't have to drink my blood, just eat my flesh, right? Or you don't have to do, you see what I'm saying? This is what we think Jesus is like. We think Jesus is gonna be like, I just need more followers, so I'll dumb it down and make it easy and hope you all come back. He's like, there isn't any of that. At the end of the day, plenty of people are going to wish they didn't negotiate the terms of the agreement because you will spend eternity in hell. True, right? Because you can't negotiate. He says very clearly. So what does he tell you? If we don't negotiate, he tells you, you need to deny yourself. Why do you need to deny yourself? Because I, I think, I'll just make this, you know, I think you're like me. I wake up every day thinking of who? Me, right? Like I wake up every day and I'm thinking, I got a whole lot of crap to do today. Please don't interrupt me. I have every minute of every part of my day scheduled. Don't let me have any interruptions because selfishly, I got a plan. Anybody else? It's busy in life and got a thing and it got to get done and you're like, another call, another text. Oh my gosh, I got to answer these. Well, if you do that with me, you probably know you don't ever get a text back or an answer back. <laughs> I know, like... It's a problem, that's my point. I'm just admitting my problems in front of everybody. Because selfishly, I'm like, 
oh my gosh, another interruption and another thing. And if I text back, it's going to start this long trail of, okay, yes, back and forth. I'm going to be like, I'm going to just die. I don't have this kind of time. <laughs> right? Like, I, don't, I can't do these things. You know what I mean? But every day I have to think through this because naturally, who am I about? Me. Right? Every day I have to force myself to wake up and remember that the reason you're on this earth is not for you, it's for other people, right? Like that is what I have to realize. And then he says, you're gonna have to do this every day because you're naturally selfish. And then he also says, is when you deny yourself, you know what else is gonna happen? You're gonna suffer and it's gonna be uncomfortable because it's gonna cost you something. That's the whole take up your cross every day. He's like, if you truly deny yourself, it's going to cost you something. And it could be like, you, know, you don't think this is a big cost, but you know, for me, time is valuable and it might cost you time and you might not get done everything that you wanted to get done in a day because you had to be with somebody else. But that's take up the cross daily, right? It's going to cost you something. There's going to be suffering. If you're going to be a disciple, he just says, deny yourself. And at the end of the day, when you deny yourself, then you're going to be able to follow him, you know, in the midst of that. And that's where he ends it. He's like, if you deny yourself and you, you pick up your cross and you're okay with suffering, if you're okay with your life being interrupted, you're okay with it costing you something, because that's what's going to happen. The things that God's going to ask you to do as his disciple, just so you know, is going to cost you something. And you are going to suffer. So if you can't went to a church where they're like, if you just follow Jesus, everything's going to be great. and You're going to get everything you want. It's so wrong. You ain't getting everything you want. You're being used by God, which is the greatest thing we could ever ask for or desire, true? Right, just to be used by God, not to get everything that we want. And then he says, if you follow me, you're gonna see some things, and we're gonna play this out at the end of the service today, but here's the idea. If you deny yourself and pick up your cross and follow me, meaning if you go where I am, you know what you're gonna see? Life's changed. That's what you're going to see. When we go where we want to go and do the religious things that we want to do and we want to try to put it together and we have this big plan and we go over there like, I can't figure out why it doesn't work. Well, you know why it doesn't work? Because he's over there and you're here. You want it to work? Go where he is. Follow him. Because here's the great thing. When we're where he is, you can be used in ways that you could have never been used when you're trying to do it by yourself. Because so many people are like, well, I'm just not good enough and I don't know enough about the Bible and I don't, listen, good. Because the people that he wants to use are the people that are gonna go over there and be like, I have no idea why I'm over here. I'm not prepared, I'm not ready, I'm not, but I'm usable. I'm available. And people that say that they're available, God does things through those people that are beyond what you could ask for or imagine. That's the way it works, to make yourself available because when you make yourself available, God has already been working in this situation. So put yourself in that place. Now, so that, like the idea, he, you know, he picks it out or he gives us this idea, like if you wanna be a disciple of mine, he lays out what it looks like. Now, in that, I think it does become somewhat difficult, right? Because I still think people struggle with this idea of what does it really mean to be a disciple and how can I take like all of these things? Because you read the Bible and you're reading all of these things, you're like, I could never do all of these things, right? I could never keep up with them. Like if you actually have been reading your Bible and you've been trying to do what it says, you're like, wow, this ain't going very good. Anybody, right? Like you've been trying to keep it up and you've been trying to do and you read all the way through and you're like, I can't do all of this stuff. Right? I can't, I, I'm not good enough. 
right? I can't, I can't get these things done. So what I want to do is, is, uh, is bring a very clear understanding and maybe clear up what I talked about earlier. Being a disciple of Jesus Christ is not about what you know, it's about what you do. The problem, and I'm going to restate this because I think it's a huge problem, the problem in the American church is exactly what Francis Chan said in his book, Crazy Love. Here's what he said, and I'll remember the day that I read this. He says, stop reading your Bible until you start doing what it says. I'm like, holy crap. That's what, I mean, that's what he says. What are you reading it for if you're not doing any of it anyway? So you can check off you did your daily bread. And that's still a thing. Is there still a daily bread thing? Yeah. You know, or the, whatever that stuff is. Or you can go on your Bible app and you can check it off. I did it. You could be in it with your friends and say, I did it. And he's sitting there saying, great, you know more and are doing nothing. That's not a disciple of Jesus Christ. You can go to all the Bible studies you want and you can learn everything that you want. You can go to all of the seminars that you want. You can listen to the greatest Bible teachers in the world and you can walk away puffed up with this idea of knowledge and religion and do nothing and you're in bad shape. Because you're gonna see here in a little bit, those people are the people that Jesus looked at and said, you should fear hell. You know, and a lot of people are back to this idea, like, I can't be a disciple or make disciples because I don't know anything about the Bible. (laughs) Listen, you're going to see here in a little bit, that's not what you need to know. You don't need to know all the commandments. You don't need to know all the books. You don't need to know all the rules. You know what you need to know is this. Matthew 22, 22, verse 35. One of them, an expert in the law. So here's who he's talking to. So back then, I want to explain to you, there were these Pharisees and Sadducees, religious people who knew everything about the Bible, right? The Torah at the time, had it all memorized, had all of these things together, right? We would have looked at them as very religious people. So one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, brought it back down, two things. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with your soul and with your mind, This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. To the people who knew everything about the Bible, he says, you should fear hell because you know tons of things and you're very religious, but you're doing nothing. He said, if you want to understand what to do, two things. If you want to be a disciple, two things. Love God and love people. So anybody that would say, I, don't, I can't do it, it's too complicated, and read the Bible, and I don't know, and I don't know how to explain it, you don't have to. You don't have to explain all the Bible. You don't have to explain it. You don't have to lead people down the Romans road. You don't have to have a pamphlet to hand somebody. You know what you have to do? Love God and love people, and the Holy Spirit does something you can't do anyway. I don't care if you have the Romans road and the pamphlet and all the crap you're gonna hand them. Without the Holy Spirit in the midst of it, it ain't getting it done anyway. Love God, love people. It releases the Holy Spirit in a way that you can't do it, right? You can't get those things done. So he says, and this is something that, that, that I've wrote down for myself to figure out how to do this over time right? Because we don't want to just walk out of here and say, I want to be a disciple, and you got all these things and all these tools, and then you walk away, and then, then over time, your discipleship goes away, right? So I wrote this down. Maturity, 
or being a disciple is formed by intentionality over time through the Holy Spirit. Going to be a disciple, intentionality over time through the Holy Spirit. So let's talk about intentionality based upon what he said it means to be a disciple. So how do we need to be intentional, right? The first thing that he said that we need to do, the greatest commandment is what? Love. Come on, second service, you're way better than the first service. Let's go. Love God, right? Easy. Love God. How do we be intentional? This is the thing. How do we be intentional about loving God? Here's what I want you to hear. If you're going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, you have to intentionally take ownership for your own personal relationship with Jesus. Your own. Not your wife's, not your husband's, not your youth leader's, not your pastor's, not the guy that you listen to in a podcast, not the person that you watch online, not somebody else. You have to intentionally have what needed to be restored from the beginning because here's what I want you to see. You know, clear back when Adam and Eve were in the garden, they, they sinned, what was broken? Relationship. When Jesus came back, what was he trying to restore? Relationship. You know why you should be doing your devotions? For relationship, not knowledge. Anybody? Right? Like, you need to read because you need to be in relationship. Because in relationship, personal relationship, you prove to him, based upon your intentionality, I love you. I love you. Now, all of the wives, girlfriends, fiancés in this room can speak to this, right? So if your husband all of a sudden comes to you and says, you know what, I got a plan and we're going out and this is what we're going to do. And they made this whole big thing together for you. Do you feel loved because your husband was finally intentional? Your boyfriend was finally intentional? Because there's something about being intentional that makes other people feel loved, right? There's something about you making the effort to make that person feel loved. It's the same concept. I said this from the beginning. You know, if you love someone, you'll not only talk about them, you'll spend time with them. So somebody says that I love Jesus, but you spend no time trying to build a personal relationship with him, do you really? Or is it just this? Right? I mean, can you say that you love somebody that you never talked to? Can you say that you love somebody that you never spend any time with? You can say it, but it, it, it's a lie. Right, it's just a lie. And I said, too many people in the church on Sunday morning are saying, God, I love you, but you do nothing in your life that reflects that love, no intentionality. Now, here's the great thing. Building a personal relationship can be done in multiple different ways. You don't have to do it like somebody else told you to do it. I remember when I first gave my life to Jesus Christ, I came to somebody, I'm like, I don't know what to do. And they said, read the Bible. And I'm like, that don't make no sense. Anybody else in the beginning of their relationship when they said, read the Bible, start in Genesis. And I'm like, that stuff really happened? You know what I mean? Like you went through this idea. They said, read the Bible. I'm like, this thing doesn't make any sense. And they're like, just keep reading it. It'll come to you. <laughs> now looking back, I'm like, you're so full of crap. You might have read it, but you, you didn't know anything about it either. You're just reading it because you can say you read it, but you didn't change your life because I can see your life right now. Right? 
Like this whole idea that it can only be done in one way, like it's the same concept a lot of people said. Leaders are readers, right? And so I was like, again, in the beginning, a person who cheated most of their way through high school. And I'm like, read a book? I ain't read a book in a way long time, right? And now all of a sudden I need to be a reader? I'm like, so I tried and I didn't. I developed more of a like, I like to read, but all of a sudden I got audiobooks. I'm like, you wanna know the best thing ever? Audiobooks, right? Like you can listen to these audiobooks over and over again and you're out feeding calves and it's like, you can get through some books now, right? And people, you know what people say? But you're not really reading. And I'm like, seriously, I'm gonna smack you. <laughs> because you know what? You ain't reading either. Like you might be saying you're reading. I, we're going through 50, 60, 70 books in a year and you're like, I'm reading, getting through one. I'm like, listen, I might've gleaned something, right? And the only reason I say it is everybody can do it in a different way. I'm just kind of having fun with it. But you know what? Everybody can do what they need to do from a personal relationship in a different way. You can do it whatever time of day that you want. You can do it at night, in the morning. You can listen to the Bible. You can read the Bible. You can read books. You can journal. The point is you're intentionally building a relationship with the one that you loved. Figure out what works by talking to the one that you love. Don't let anybody tell you it has to fit inside of a box that the church said is a discipleship program. We're all on the same page, right? Like that has to be important. You know what the other thing is, is that we have to be intentional about being with people. Love God and love people, right? So intentionality over time through the Holy Spirit. Like for us, we need to be intentionally invested into the lives of people. Adam Shoemaker was on our podcast this week and, you know, Adam was like talking through like how God has kind of developed him and grown him as a leader and the things that he's doing. He's a young man, you know, pretty cool story of how God is using him. We're talking about this whole idea of intentionality and he says, you know what? I mean, I don't have all the answers, but I text five people every week and ask them how they're doing, right? And I'm thinking, well, how hard is that? Well, obviously hard, because I don't do it. I mean, I barely answer your text, let alone check on you, right? Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, we think that this should be easy, it's not easy. Being intentional in the lives of people isn't easy. When you're busy and things are going on, it's not easy to be intentional in the lives of people. Right? Like We have to really work at this idea of how to be intentional with people because if we're going to love God and love people, it's just not going to happen naturally. Okay? So that was the piece of be intentional. Then it's over time. How do we do it over time? So a couple things I want you to think about. This might not be you, but I want you to see what I've seen over time with people that come to church. So people that come to church that truly don't understand discipleship and they start falling into the trap that I think happens inside of the church is over time with people that give their life to Christ, they become more religious and less relational, right? So they come to the church and they become more religious, meaning that you read more, you study more, you do more, you know more, and you become less relational with the people who need everything that you got because they're no longer like you. Anybody experience that? You know what I'm saying, right? Like all of a sudden, you're not where you were before and all these people that are down here are like, oh my gosh, they're terrible. Right? And you don't know how to reach them anymore. You don't know how to relate to them anymore. So I'm saying the thing that you gotta guard against is over time, 
You need to continue this process. Look up and don't forget to look in. Because that's the piece that's missing in most of us. Because if you look in based upon seeing the glory of God, you know what you recognize? You suck too. See, if you're religious, you're like, no, I don't. (laughs) Yes, you do. Based upon the glory of God, right? Based upon open it up, let God reveal himself to us. We all got problems. We are all sinners, all fallen short of the glory of God. People that are prideful, that think they don't have it, right? They're the people who've become religious and ineffective inside of the church. You know what else happens over time? As you're going along and, and you know, you gave your life to Jesus and life's, life's trucking along and things are going great. And then all of a sudden you get blindsided. Anybody? Going through and everything's good and life's good and you're going to church and the church convinced you that life was going to be great. And if you just kept coming to church, all your relationships will work and all your money will work and you'll never have to suffer and you'll never have any problems. And then all of a sudden suffering came and this whole idea of over time, you started to drift away instead of come closer. And I've seen so many people inside of the church that that bought into this theory that there'll never be any suffering inside of the church over time and that everything gets better that they walk away from the church. And their, their, their walk in discipleship got off track because they didn't realize what Paul was talking about in Romans. Because here's what he says in Romans 5. Romans 5 verse 3 says, Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Now think about your suffering for a second. Did anybody want to say that was glory? Be honest. Nobody wants to say it's glory, right? Nobody wants to say, which is true, the situation is not glorious. It's the outcome of what he wants to do in your heart, which will be glorious. The situation is because we live in a fallen world. The situation that's happening, the things that are happening are because of sin. What he wants to be glorious is what he says next. Because we know that suffering does something. It produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God, God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who he has given us. The faith that you're going to need to be a disciple of Jesus Christ is perfected through the suffering of this world. Did you want to hear that? Right? You know what I'm saying? Like, no, I don't want to hear that. Like, you don't want to know that your faith is not going to be perfected through the times that you're on the mountain, but it's going to be perfected in the times that you're in the valley. And you're going to have to be okay with that because he's trying to do a work. You're trying to get out. He's saying, I got a work to do. Don't run away. I got something to do in your heart. Something's going on in here. There's something that needs to be perfected. Stay with me, persevere, because when you get out of this valley, you're gonna be used in such a way that you could have never been used before. Anybody? Nobody wants the circumstances. I've never talked to anybody like, God, bring on the suffering. Right, nobody wants that. But when you realize what he wants to do over time, through suffering, we would understand that God's doing a work and we want him to do that work. We don't want the situation, but God do the work inside of us. So the worship team's gonna come back up and we're gonna finish up here. This is the last part of it. 
Remembering this, right? Intentionality over time through the power of the Holy Spirit. You can't forget this. Listen to me. This is sometimes the missing link in discipleship. If you want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, too many times inside of the church, you want to do it through your power. That's why you say, I can't do it because I don't know and I can't do. And I'm like, dude, listen to me. That's why he says what's living inside of you through salvation is going to give you the power, this is what he says, to do more than what Jesus did on this earth. And you're saying, I can't do because what? You know what you don't realize? It's the power that's inside of you. Because the power that lives in you today, Scripture is very clear that you will do more than Jesus ever did on this earth. Not because you know, not because you have it all together, not because you're more religious and now you're all perfected and now God can use you. You know why? Because you're available. That's why. You're available. You've made it so where you've said, you know what, because I say this all the time. I don't deserve to be up here. I don't, again, I didn't know how to lead a church. I'd never led a church. I'd never planted a church before. But you know what? The one thing that I said then that I will say today, I still don't know what I'm doing. But you know what? I'm available. I'm available. I'm available. And I learned this a long time ago because I'm somewhat of a control freak, just a little bit of a problem. You know, in almost every area of my life, I want to control every situation that happens. I want to make sure that I have it all lined up. I want to make sure that I've done the best of my ability. You know what I learned early on when it comes to being a disciple of Jesus Christ? You know what you need more than anything? Not more knowledge, not more Bible studies, not more opportunities for people to know more about the Bible. You know what we need is more opportunities for this, for you to surrender it all. We need more opportunities where people can come to the place where you're saying, you know what? At the end of the day, you're right, I don't know it all and I can't understand it all and it doesn't matter how much I know or don't know. At the end of the day, what matters the most is whether you're willing to surrender it all because that's what he says. From the beginning, he says, if you wanna be a disciple of mine, deny yourself, pick up your cross daily and follow me. That's complete surrender. What he is yearning for inside of the church is not more people that know more. He's yearning for people inside of the church to be fully surrendered. That's what he's yearning for. People that are just gonna say, you know what? I've had a past, so what? I've had issues in my life, these things have happened. So what? Join the club. You know what he needs? All of you to be surrendered, because listen to me, when you're fully surrendered, you know what happens? The Holy Spirit manifests in a way that you could never ask for or imagine. You're gonna watch things happen, not only in your life, but inside of this church that you never would have thought possible. You know why? Because it was never from you to begin with. That's why you never thought it was possible. It's from the Holy Spirit, who's bringing up what God wants, not what the church wants, and not what you want, but what he wants in this world. That's what fully surrendered churches and people do, right? Will you stand so I can pray for you? Heavenly Father, may we be a people that understands that we need to stop negotiating the terms of our relationship, Lord, and we need to stick with this. 
Lord, I surrender all. I'm done negotiating. I'm done trying to figure it out. I'm done trying to make it all work. I'm just going to surrender it all. I'm not going to negotiate anymore. I'm just going to trust you for maybe the first time in my life. I trust you with all. And Heavenly Father, I pray that the manifestation through the surrendered people in this room, that the Holy Spirit's presence will be felt in a way that it's a confirmation that this is what you're looking for, a confirmation for the things that you want to do through these people. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen.
So one of the things we talked about just fits so much with the song is this is what we do have to realize. There is no better life than being with God. I mean, if you've lived on both sides of it where you've tried to save your life, you know what I mean, and do all the things that you want to do, and you've been on the side of surrender, on the side of surrender, being with God is where you want to be, right? And that, that song is just something for each one of us to be reminded. 
If we can be a surrendered, surrendered church and a surrendered people, listen, the things that are gonna happen in this community and the things that are gonna happen in this world are gonna be way beyond we could ever wrap our minds around. So I'm hoping that we as people individually will surrender and we as a church will surrender to be a part of the movement that God wants to do in you and in this world. So thanks for being here with us. The main campus, thanks for joining us online. We'll see you guys next week.